morning, church. How's everybody doing? You take your seats. Well, today is Austin Chapel Sunday morning gathering. Um, Austin Chapel is all about what? The glory of God. First and foremost, we are about the glory of God in all things we do. When we gather together, we gather together, we sing songs. Why do we sing songs? We sing them because we want to glorify and praise his name. And then secondly, we come together for Christ-centered community. This is not a social club. This is not a clique. This is Christ-centered community. This is a community that we have a mutual bond in Jesus, in the salvation that he has so generously and graciously given to us. So we come to glorify God, to have Christ-centered community, and then we exist as a church plant to reach this city to reach our neighbors, to reach our friends, to reach our coworkers, to reach the people that we have influence with, to reach them because we believe that God is worth glorifying and that Christ is good enough to be in relationship with and then together as we're all in relationship with Christ and we're in relationship together, that that is something that is truly worth inviting others into. And that's why we exist as a church plan. And I've decided that we're going to say that same thing every Sunday morning. We're going to declare our mission, which is to glorify God, to have Christ-centered community, and to make disciples every single week because I need to be reminded of it every single week. And all of us need to be reminded of it every single week. Amen? We need to be reminded why we're doing what we're doing, why we're moving these chairs around, setting up these speakers, putting the curtains to hide all the stuff we moved over there, having children's ministry when some weeks it's two kids and some weeks it's 12 kids. Some weeks it's just mine and Aaron's bratty boys <laughs> that are in their kind of tantrum phase. We need to be reminded why we planted this church, what we're doing. Because when we know our vision, when we know our mission, when we know what God has called us to do, when things don't go well, when we don't feel like doing it, we're reminded And the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 you have a purpose. You have a calling. You're doing this for a reason. Be patient. Trust me. You'll see my kingdom come and my will be done. But we have to remind ourselves of it. Because if we don't remind ourselves of it, we will always get off track. Our mind will go other places. Fear, apathy, laziness will all creep in, won't they? Discouragement will creep in. And so today I want us to Read this next portion of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to be talking about thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Sorry, I haven't memorized in like old school days. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's today's text. You know, as we say that, those aren't just nice words. It's not just a poetic prayer. It has to be our vision. It has to be our purpose. And we have to embrace it fully. So let's read. The entirety of the Lord's Prayer, I'm going to have you guys stand with me. This portion will be on the screen. Uh, The rest of the scriptures you can find in the app. app. Uh, The rest of them won't be on the screen, only this portion, which we're going to read together. You guys excited to read together? It's fun, right? Uh, We're reading out of the NKJV, which is on the screen, so it's best that you read from the screen. You ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, 
but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, you guys can sit down. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you have done for us. Thank you for this prayer, this model of prayer in which you teach us how we should pray, how we should think, and even how we should view our lives, Lord, all in this short prayer that is only 60-some words. You gave this to us so that we could learn from it, Lord. It was your response to the question, how should we pray? Lord, I ask that this time, um, these five weeks that we're in this, and then today specifically, Lord, that we learn how to pray. Lord, that we see that prayer is important. It's not just some religious duty we check off a list, but it's relationship with you. That we can be closer to you, find your will, seek your kingdom, all of that happens in prayer, Lord. God, I I just ask that each one of us would see the importance of this prayer and the importance of prayer in general. God, I ask your Holy Spirit right now to fall upon every one of our hearts, Lord. Lord, ignite us inside with a fire that just desires to pray, that we desire relationship with you more than anything else on this earth that we desire your will and your kingdom and, and all that you want to do more than anything else in our lives, God. But that doesn't happen of our own effort. That happens when your Holy Spirit changes us and transforms us. So please, Holy Spirit, we, we open our hearts to you and say, change us. Lead us to pray. Lead us to think this way. Lead us to live on mission. Lead us to do all the things that you would have us do. Transform us. Transform my apathy into energy. My laziness into discipline. My discouragement into encouragement. Lord, I pray that we would all come to you in this moment. Open hearts to look at your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Do you guys like Shakespeare? Or did you only read Shakespeare when it was required at high school? I didn't actually ever read this prayer, uh, play. Um, pray. Uh, I didn't actually ever read this play, but there is a very famous Shakespeare play. play. I can't talk today. Who wants to preach? <laughs> There's a very famous Shakespeare play called Richard III. Richard is the main character. He's kind of this evil king who's being attacked by a foreign um, kingdom, and they're in battle. And in the scene, Richard III is in battle, and his horse is killed. And apparently he was very attached to this horse. This horse meant a lot to him. So as his horse is killed in battle, he then goes on a bloodlust craze rampage, seeking the one who killed his horse. As a king, you should be smart in battle, because if you die, you could lose your whole kingdom. So kings normally stay back, they kind of lead from the behind, but he's instead going with the foot soldiers with a sword on a crazy bloodlust rampage, striking down anybody who looks like Richmond the guy who killed his horse. And his main servant is following him around. And his servant is saying, King, I have another horse for you. Please get on a horse. You're being crazy. You're going to die. You're going to lose your kingdom. Please get on the horse and retreat. 
But the king responds, Richard III, responds with this very famous um, line in literature. And he says, my horse, my horse, my kingdom for a horse. In that moment, the understanding here is that Richard III says, no, my revenge for my horse is worth more than my entire kingdom and my life. He is saying here, I am willing to just go into this bloodlust rampage to seek revenge for my horse. I don't care if I lose my kingdom. See, in the moment, he lost sight of what was actually important because of his anger. He let his emotions get the best of him, and he lost sight of what they were actually doing. He lost sight of what he was really fighting for. He lost sight of the fact that he could lose his entire kingdom or even his life. And he said, I don't care. My horse, my horse my kingdom for a horse. And that became a very um, popular a literature or even an expression that people would say where you would just replace horse with something else. So you would say, you know, my job, my job, my kingdom for a job. Or you could replace it with anything that you're foolishly pursuing while leaving behind the thing that actually matters. And spiritually, as Christians, we can do the same thing. See, we are living for God's kingdom. But what things do we allow in our lives where we say, this is more important right now, foolishly? We get our emotions all confused. We get irrational. And we say, no, this thing is more important. A relationship, a relationship, God's kingdom for a relationship. We say, a job, a job, a promotion, a promotion. Money, money. You know what I'm saying? Whatever it is that you struggle with, whatever thing that can easily become a God to you, that thing can pull you away to where you foolishly reject the kingdom of God and don't see the importance of it. So Jesus gives us this prayer, and in this prayer he says what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus here is trying to get us to set our minds on the right thing. Not on our little kingdoms, our little domain that we reign, but on his kingdom, his domain. His will, not our will. Now, of course, as Christians, we maybe theologically agree with that, don't we? If you're a Christian, I would hope that you see that God's kingdom and God's will is more important than your kingdom and your will. And sometimes we theologically agree with them, but in application, reject it. It's because we're sinners. We are sinners who oftentimes can theologically agree with something in our mind, but have a disconnect when it comes to our action, our prayer life, our thought life, our hopes, our dreams, our finances, our relationships, our workplaces. There's a disconnect between what we proclaim to believe at church and how we live in our lives. So we can come in and say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and then go out into the week and live the opposite of that, can't we? Have you ever been guilty of that? I know that I am sometimes. Sometimes I preach a sermon and then live opposite, you know? Sometimes you read scripture, You go, that's so good. God, you're so good. But then your life isn't reflecting it. So Jesus here gives us this portion of this prayer not to give us a nice poetic theological statement, but 
that we would have a mindset and a heart where we really say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's obviously three parts to this. There's the kingdom, your kingdom come. There's the second, your will be done. And then the third is on earth as it is in heaven. We'll take a look at the first. Kingdom. When you think of kingdoms now, maybe it's easier to think of nations. Um, We don't have a lot of kings anymore in the world. There's very few, mostly. We have prime ministers and presidents and democracies throughout the world with a few exceptions such as dictatorships and a few places where we still have kings. But as you think of it as a nation, originally the Israelites in Scripture were in God's kingdom. He was their king. They didn't have a king. They had prophets and they had judges who kind of helped them along in following God's law and and really helping them follow God's will. But God was their king. And there came a point where the people were like looking at the rest of the world, which that's always a dangerous thing to do. Instead of looking at what God wants, we start looking at what the rest of the world is doing. And that's what the Israelites did. Instead of looking at what God had already set before them, they started looking at the other nations, and they went, well, we're sticking out like a sore thumb here by not having a kingdom. And side message, sometimes living the Christian life means it looks different. Sometimes it means you can't go to do that. Sometimes it means you can't be at that place. Sometimes it it means that you cannot participate in this thing, and you will stick out like a sore thumb. And so they were sticking out like a sore thumb. They're like, we look different. This is weird. Like, every other nation has a king. Why don't we have a king? And so God said, my will is that I would be your king, but if you really want a king, fine, go ahead. But then he says, but I want you to know that kings will take from you. You see, God's kingdom was all about God giving, whereas nations are all about taking from their people. When you think of taxes, you think of when they go to war, we take their sons and we put them out to war. He says that nations are, the kings of nations are always about taking from the people, whereas God was all about giving to the people. So he really set himself apart by saying, I'm not like every other king. I'm not going to take from you. I'm going to actually give to you. But if you really want a king, go ahead. Just know he's going to take from you. And all kings did. All kings all over the world, they tax you and they take you, sometimes even physically. They take. They're all about taking. Whereas God is all about giving. We have a generous God. We talked about that right before Christmas, how God is generous. In every part of our life, he's always looking to give to us. God ultimately gave his son. He gave his own life for us. He gives grace to us. He invites us into heaven with him. He's always giving. So we have this difference here that really came about in the Old Testament when they went to have physical, real, human kings and kind of rejected the kingship of God. And then Jesus was sent. Do you know what one of the accusations that was charged against Jesus when he was in trial to be crucified? He claims to be king of the Jews. That was one of the main accusations. They even put it on his cross. He was king of the Jews, and the Jews were upset about that. But that was the charge. They didn't like that. 
cross said that. Jesus did come to set his kingdom. Jesus, for the entirety of his ministry, in Matthew 4 it says, from that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At hand is to say it's here. Jesus, for his entire ministry, said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's now. He was bringing in the new kingdom. He was ushering in the kingdom of God. Even in response to that accusation, he said, yes, I'm here, but my kingdom is not of this world. And those who believe are a part of Now, of course, the Jews were looking for a Messiah who would come and establish a physical kingdom. And Jesus will do that. We we know from Jesus' own words that he's coming back to establish a physical kingdom. We know from different prophecies in the letters and in Revelation that tell us that Jesus is coming back. And there will be a day when the kingdom of God is that of a physical kingdom in which we all dwell. But right now, Jesus taught that the kingdom of God that is at hand right now is that of a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom that is not of this world, and that you can only experience by being born again. In John 3, it says, In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So the kingdom that we're talking about in this Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, Contextually, what we're talking about is the spiritual kingdom that we experience as believers. We're talking about salvation and identity in Christ. We're talking about what it means to be a Christian. So when we say, your kingdom come, we're praying that really all that it means to follow Christ would happen in our own lives and then in others' lives. That we would see us begin to follow him as our king here and now, and then we would be seeing others choose to do the same, that they would be born again, and then being born into this new spiritual kingdom where they have a new idea, they are a new creation, and they have a new king, not this physical king uh, or president or nation, that they have a new citizenship in heaven, and that they're living for that. And so that's what we're praying for here. Your kingdom come, we're saying, Lord, let us live as your citizens here and now because his kingdom is here and now. It is at hand. His kingdom is not just about waiting until he returns, and that is a part of it. We do hope for his return, but it's important for us to know, and it's important for us to, in our prayer lives, to say, your kingdom come right now in my life in my friends' lives, in our church's lives, in our co-workers' lives, in the city's lives, that their new identity and citizenship would be found as they're born again. Luke 17 says, Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, Here it is, there it is, because because the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is what? Within you. He's telling us that there is a spiritual experience of being born again and then living a different kind of life because you're a citizen of a different kingdom. We're not of this world. We are 
And again, that's not just a theological statement that we print on our shirt. So I'm not of this world. No, it's the way you live. Every action that you make, every decision, every thought, every relationship needs to be under the mindset that I live for a different kingdom and I serve a different king. So if you're upset or excited about Trump's win, doesn't matter. He's not your king. <laughs> He's not your king. Jesus is our king. And then we move on to the second part. Your will be done. So we recognize his kingship. Therefore, we must recognize that it's his will that must be done. Because it's absurd to say that he's our spiritual king and that we are his servants and then to not obey his will. Right? What happens when you break the laws of the land? Maybe you get away with it for a little while, but eventually, what? You get caught. Eventually, you get a speeding ticket when you're speeding. Now, when I was 16, I thought, that'll never happen to me. <laughs> so I just sped around as much as I could. Like, I, that'll happen to somebody, but not to me. When we go around breaking laws, eventually it catches up to us. Because we live in a land that has laws, because we have leaders, we have Presidents, we have politicians who dis- decide what is right and wrong for this nation, for this state, and for this city. And if they say it's 65, it's 65, and eventually it catches up with you. Their will is done eventually, isn't it? You can try to fight against it, but if you go around murdering people, eventually you're going to get caught. <laughs> right? Eventually the law ke- catches up with you. Well, spiritually, it's absurd for us to say, you're king, but let me do whatever I want. Well, then he's not your king. He's not your king if you're just going around doing whatever you want. You're not submitting to his kingship. So don't call him your king. Jesus says, those who love me, what? Obey me. Wasn't optional. He he didn't say, those who love me, do whatever they want. Those who love me, just be your own God. Make your own decisions. He said none of that. He said, those who love me, Obey me. Now, Jesus is the perfect king, unlike Trump and any politician and any other king or dictator in the world. He's perfect, and his laws and his decrees are perfect. And they're designed for his glory and your joy. So when God says, do this, don't do this, it's designed for his glory and for your joy. We talked about last week how the purpose of man is to give God glory and to enjoy him thoroughly. So everything in scripture is is there for us to learn how to give God glory and to enjoy him thoroughly, to actually have the best possible life lived. And when we don't get that he's king, but he's a loving father we talked about last week, but he's also sovereign and holy, when we lose connection with who we're worshiping, with who we're talking to in prayer, we start to think that maybe our will might be better, or maybe he doesn't have my best, in, um, my best interest at heart. He's just only got his interest at heart. We start doubting God, because we're forgetting that, one, he's the all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign king of the universe. He's also your loving father. 
and he's also your king. So now he's not just your king, but he's also your father. You see, he's your father, and he's your king, and he's this almighty, powerful God of the universe. We're learning how to view God so that we can more appropriately view our own lives. And that's what the Lord's Prayer is teaching us. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. So we're seeking out God's will. But here's the thing. What is God's will for my life? I don't think there is a question that Christians ask more, especially to spiritual leadership. It's the one I probably have to answer the most. I don't know if I should do this or this. Which one is God's will? And I'm not God, so I can't always tell you. (laughs) See, something that is a simple statement is actually hard for us to sometimes get a hold of. What's your will for my life? Are you asking that right now? Have you asked that recently? God, what is, your, what is your will for my life? And that is an amazing question. And I think it's one that we ask often, but don't actually want the answer to. Because we say, Lord, I just want to know your will for my life. And then he kind of leads us in one direction. We go, that's uncomfortable and awkward. No, God, can I please have this instead? Can I please go this direction instead? Can I please have this instead? A lot of times, we don't actually want him to answer that question. And maybe he's already answered it, and you're just still asking because you're like, that can't be it. That just could not possibly be it. Don't you know I have a better calling than that, Father? He's like, I keep showing you. I keep showing you. You know, I don't believe that God speaks audibly often, but he speaks, and he speaks clearly. If you want to know which way to go, if you want to know the decision that you should make, God will tell you. But you can only hear him when you approach him with a humble heart. If you're not hearing God, there is probably pride and arrogance in the now, I know you're like, well, come on. No, like, I'm sure it's something. I mean, he just doesn't talk to me like he talks to you. Like, you, know, I, you can play the victim, though, can't you? Don't play the victim. There's sin, probably pride and arrogance or something else that is causing you to not hear him or you're hearing him and you're ignoring him. And you're saying it's got to be something else. It's got to be something else. It's got to be something else. A lot of times we don't actually want to hear what he has to say. We're just trying to get him to do what we want him to do. And that is not worship. That is trying to practice magic. When you try to get God to do your will, you're in, really, in essence, trying to perform magic. You're treating God like a genie and not like the sovereign king father that he is. When we treat prayer like rubbing the genie's bottle, right, when we're trying to get the lamp and say, come on, give me my three wishes. When we're doing that, that's not prayer. That's us trying to practice magic. So we have to learn how to hear God, but it happens when we come to him humbly. In Isaiah 30, 
21, he says, And your ears shall hear a word behind you, saying, This is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. He speaks, and God does speak clearly if you're willing to listen. I can't tell you guys how many times I just not wanted to hear God's voice. Or I go to prayer, and immediately as I pray, God, what should I do? There is a thought that comes every time. And I go, Lord, how about instead? <laughs> Lord, how about instead this? You ever done that? God doesn't talk to me. Yes, he does. When you come to him humbly, willing to listen, he speaks. and He will lead your life. I was reading a commentary recently, and it's also something my grandpa says is that when God speaks, it's clear. When you know that God said something, it's clear. You don't really doubt it. And then you have moments of doubt, and then you remember, and you go, no, 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 that was too clear. That was too clear for me to doubt it. So continue to pray. Now, what happens when there's something that you have to decide, and it's right here, right now, in front of you, and you have to make a decision, right? Most of the time, if people are praying about something and seeking God's will, my advice would be keep praying. Wait as long as you can until you feel as confident and faith-filled as you can about your decision. Don't rush into it. Wait. Keep praying. Keep seeking. Ask for more faith. But sometimes there is a decision right in front of you, isn't there? Sometimes you're like, I can't wait. I have to make a decision. What do you do? Pray in the moment. And then check your heart. Here's the thing. We have to check our hearts. God can lead through our emotions and through our hearts if we're in a pure heart and a pure mind. So a lot of times what I do, I've got a decision right in front of me. It has to be made. I go, okay, if I went here, is this in some way going to glorify me? Am I making this decision because I'm scared, because I'm fearful? I start checking my motives and my intentions. And then all of a sudden I, I say, I would only do that because of fear. And if I did this, I would do it because of confidence. So I say, well, fear is not of the Lord, so I'm going to go this direction. Right? Fear is not of the Lord. He doesn't speak to you through fear. He speaks to you through, through faith. He uses the faith in which he gives us to get us to go. So whenever there's fear, I'd cast the fear aside and try to make the decision not because of fear. If I'm like, I wouldn't do that because I'm scared, then maybe that I should be doing it. You know, or check your intentions. Am I just doing this because it'll make me look good, but it's not really going to glorify God? Or am I just wanting to do that because there's financial gain, but really I feel like God wants me to do this? As you confess and you be real with yourselves, which we lie to ourselves more than anybody else, so that can be hard sometimes because we're really good liars to ourselves. But when we're honest, we start hearing God's voice really clear even when you need to make a decision right now. So, we humbly and sincerely go to him for answers to seek his will. Casting aside our will and truly coming to a point where we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then we get to this third part, on earth as it is in heaven. 
That's a theological statement that is so packed. On earth as it is in heaven. See, God's sovereign heavenly will will always be done. Jesus, before the foundation of the world, it was planned that he would be the perfect sacrifice. Nothing was ever going to change that. And he's coming back, and he's going to finish his work of redemption. He's going to finish his work of restoration, and he's going to glorify his saints. There's nothing that can change that. His sovereign will will always be done, and there is nothing that can stop his sovereign will. But that is not the will we're talking about here. We're not talking about his sovereign ultimate will. If you look at the context in which the Bible talks about will, there's two different contexts for will. You have the sovereign will of God that happens no matter what, and then you have God's precept will. So when God says, don't murder, murder is bad, I don't will or don't want you to murder. People still murder. So God's will was not done when somebody murdered somebody. It's not God's will. His sovereign will is still going to happen no matter what because he redeems all things. But God did not choose for you to murder somebody. That was your decision. That was your sin. So we are praying here for our precept will, our decisions, our the good things that we want to do and the sins that we struggle with. We're praying here that his will starts happening there. Because we theologically know and believe that he's sovereign and his sovereign will is going to happen no matter what. But I have decisions right now in front of me to make. And I want his will, his desires to be done, not mine and not the world's. So I'm coming to him in prayer, praying that in this city, his will starts happening. That this city starts following him that our church starts following him, and that I start following him and seeking his will, not my will. That we start seeking his will, not the city's will. And that we get our precept will in line with God's. That we get our obedience in line with what he declares as good. Amen? So, on earth as it is in heaven is getting that obedience and action right. You know, as I was thinking through, what is a good example of this? What is a good example of this? And there is no better example of God's will being played out in earth than when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus goes and he prays with his disciples as he knows that he's about to be arrested and then crucified. And he goes and he prays. And that's in Luke 22. Verse 41 says, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Jesus didn't want to die there at the cross. Because he was living in a human body that was weak. Jesus still struggled with weakness. He struggled with stress. He struggled with knowing that this is going to hurt. This is going to be painful. 
So what, he does, what does he do? As a perfect example to us, he goes to the Father with his weakness, his flesh weakness, and he says, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. If you're willing, if there's any other way, and if there was any other way, believe me, God would have said, just kidding, come on back up. I've got a second plan. There was no other way. Because this is what God had decreed. But then, what does he say? If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, we need to start saying that in our prayer life. If you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, what? Not my will. Not my will. But yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Okay, I missed this my whole life reading this. He prays. Lord, please, please take this cup from me. If there's any other way, please take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. And then an angel comes and strengthens him because he's in a human that is weak, so he needs, he needs heavy strength about to do. So an angel comes in. I don't know how, but the angel strengthens him, it says. And then, listen, and then, In being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is after he's strengthened. Can you imagine if he wasn't strengthened by God? He wasn't strengthened by this angel? Probably would have passed out and died. The amount of stress that Jesus was facing here. And as he's being strengthened, he then comes to really terms with it's not my will here. I'm going to have to endure this. I'm going to have to endure torture. And I'm going to have to endure people spitting in my face. And I'm going to have to endure the pain of the cross. And then I'm going to have to endure the sins of the world being put upon me. And as he's coming to terms with what the Father's will is, not what his will is, he starts to sweat blood because the Father's will is not always easy. Because the Father's will is not always what you're going to want to do. Because the Father's will sometimes is really, really hard. And we like everything comfortable and easy, and so that's why we don't want to listen to what God says. That can't possibly be it because it's not comfortable and because I don't want to do it. But if we start praying, nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. We start praying the Lord's Prayer, which he had already taught the disciples here. And then here he is in the hardest moment of his life, living out what he taught his disciples to do. Pray for the Father's will, not our will. We're so selfish in our prayer life. I am so selfish in my prayer life. I'm just going to confess that to you. A lot of times I go and I'm just praying for what I want. And I'm learning by the God's grace to start saying, no, no, your will. Lord, your will, this is what I would like to see. I'm asking you as a loving father, but ultimately, nevertheless, your will be done. If it hurts, if it's painful, even if it led to my death, your will be done, not mine. Church, we have to start saying this in our prayer life. We start have to start viewing our entire lives and this whole world in this way. No, no, no. I'm going to ask you because you're a loving father, but no, nevertheless, I want your will than my will because you know better than I do. How dare we go to God and say we have a better plan than him? Lord, my will is a lot better than yours. You're so arrogant. 
Lord, don't let me do that. I don't want to do that. Please take that from me. You know, if you don't do what I'm going to say, I'm going to stop believing. How many people have I talked to as a pastor and even before that as a youth pastor and it just as general ministry that I've done in my life where they say, well, I don't believe in God anymore because he didn't do this. And I, I try to be sensitive in the moment, but you know, honestly, that's just arrogant. That's just your sin not coming to terms with who God is. You need to repent and realize his kingdom is here and now. And that God's will is more important than your will. And it's about us submitting to his will because he is king. We've got to start praying that way, church. We have to start praying that way. You know what happens when we start praying that way? When we start viewing him as our king and we start seeking his will above our will, you know what happens? We start seeing the third part. We start seeing his will done on earth as it is in heaven. And I don't know about you, I don't like the way the earth does things. Okay? I, some, I read news way too much, and you know what? I, just lately, I don't know what's going on, but I'm just a lot more emotional than I used to be, right? And I read news articles, and it just makes me sad, and sometimes I tear up. You know, like, even the stupidest thing is, okay, I'm just going to get real here. So we're watching Lemony Snicket's series of unfortunate events on Netflix. We watched the first episode, and I honestly, I really struggled watching it. Not because it's a bad show, it, it was well done, all of that, right? I struggled watching it because I was realizing in that moment how much child abuse there really is in the world. You know, and I felt like the show was just making it a little too light of that. There's so much child abuse. And I'm thinking, I hate the way the world does things. The world's will is evil. This earth has an evil intention for our lives. You know, if Satan has his way, going to be pain, death, and destruction because he's here to steal, kill, and destroy. And I'm sick of that, Will. I don't know about you. I'm sick of reading about, you know, terrorist attacks. I'm sick of reading about child abuse. I'm sick of reading about all these things that go on in the world. I want to see God's will done here and now, don't you? Because he's a loving, gracious father who knows all, who's good, who's awesome, and wants the best for us. He wants joy and abundance for us. And then we go, Lord, no, but I've got an idea. You got a better idea than life lived abundantly, filled with joy, and eternity with the Father who loves us and His Son and His Holy Spirit? What better will is than that? What better will is there than that? That we could start praying this way, seeking His kingdom, seeking His will for our own personal lives, for our church, and then for the city. And let it start there. Let it start today with your heart. Let's start today with your heart. Repent, therefore, because the kingdom of God is at hand. He's right here. He's right now. He wants to dwell in you with his Holy Spirit to change you from the inside out. And you know what happens when you submit to that personally? You influence the others around you. And then those others, now it's a group. And they start influencing others. And now you have a church influencing its city. And then you could, man... You can see neighborhoods start influencing other neighborhoods. You can start seeing cities influencing other cities. As we start to seek God's kingdom and his will, we will see his will done on earth as it is in heaven. But it has to begin here. It has to begin in your heart to start praying this way, to start thinking this way. You know, I was talking to some of the volunteers here this morning as we're praying, and I said, 
you know, revival doesn't start with unbelievers. Revival doesn't start with the lost. Revival starts with individuals getting caught on fire, and then that spreads. It starts right here in our hearts saying, no, I'm living for something greater. I got to stop being selfish. People need Jesus, and his Holy Spirit starts to empower you, and your apathy turns to energy, your laziness to discipline, and your discouragement and your fear to encouragement and confidence, and you start changing the world because God's using you. And you're a vessel for his purposes. That's where revival begins. That's when we start seeing his heavenly will done on earth. And I want that for our church. I want us, that for us individually, each of us, and then for our church and for the city. That's why we planted this church for his glory so we could have Christ-centered community and make disciples. Amen? So today we're going to be partaking of communion. Um, Josh is going to lead us through that. But uh, as you take communion today... You need to be real with him. And I would ask you, if you cannot be real, if you can't repent of some things, do not take it. Because to take it lightly is to take the work of the cross lightly. I'm going to hand it over to Josh here. Well, we're going to be reading.